0: My foot got trapped in it, and then I did like a backflip off of it and broke my foot. I think we were feeding our birds one time, and... They never knew what the cave was haunted. But I found it and tried to give it to her, but she said no. Welcome to the Appleseed Studio. I'm Sam Payne, your host... And on The Appleseed, we fill an hour with stories for you and your family with the idea that these stories might inspire you to tell your own to each other around the kitchen table or the living room. At The Appleseed, we believe that great stories can change your family's world. And in just about every episode of The Appleseed, we bring you all kinds of stuff, original radio dramas, old-time radio classics, pieces from all over the country about how storytelling is at work in the world. But... Maybe the beating heart of every episode of the show is a performance by a terrific storyteller recorded live here in the Appleseed studio. Now, behind the scenes, each of those story recording sessions is usually part of a larger concert in which a favorite storyteller joins us and our terrific studio audience for the kind of magic that happens when people gather around an entire evening of great storytelling. There's plenty of goofing around, plenty of heartfelt sharing, and always something that every member of the audience can take home, think over, and talk about with the people they love. And so on today's episode of The Appleseed, instead of bringing you a single story from one of those live storyteller tapings, like we usually do, in addition to all the other things we bring you, we thought we'd bring you a whole concert. The teller is Andy Offutt Irwin from Covington, Georgia. Andy joined us as part of a Western States tour and carried us away with his tales, as he so often does. Andy is perhaps best known for his stories about his fictional Aunt Marguerite and the people in her orbit. Andy will tell you an Aunt Marguerite story in this hour, and he'll also share a story that will bring back Cub Scout memories, if you've got them. I know I do. But first, he'll give us a musical, comical take on an ancient story, the story of Odysseus, who, among his adventures, was held captive by the horrible Cyclops Polyphemus. It's plenty of fun, and if it makes you a little bit curious about rediscovering that ancient tale, we wouldn't mind a bit. Here's an evening with Andy Offit-Irwin on The Appleseed.
1: Thank you so much for being here. Um, People sometimes ask me, generally I do original stories, uh, and people sometimes ask me if you have any um, folklore or myths. So uh, I will now perform for you Homer's Odyssey. (laughs) We'll be here till Saturday. (laughs) I am just a rambling boy, Ithaca bound Making my way there from Troy, Alabama. Here's an adventure that I found Is the Cyclops winking or blinking <laughs> that I've all in his head I listen for sounds of serenity with every word that he has said I notice his squint, his mouth's murky slant. Can I see a friendly glint? No, I can't. And his complimentary mints are covered with ants. <laughs> and his cyclops winking or blinking. Oh, is the cyclops winking or blinking? How can I read his mood? I wonder what he is thinking. I'm thinking he thinks of me as food. Compared to this giant, I'm a little shrimp. He's putting mascara on his one eye to primp. How can you tell? If a snake has a limp <laughs> and is cyclops winking or blinking oh, Is a cyclops winking or blinking? I just want to leave this cave And from the way this cavern is stinking I can tell polyphemus don't never obey. I'm wondering how this drama ends This giant ain't getting no help from his friends But he only pays half for his contact lens <laughs> And the Cyclops winking or blinking. <laughs> this is the end of the instrumental verse. It's not really an instrument, but it could be worse. And if I don't whistle, Sam Payne will curse. <laughs> and the Cyclops winking or blinking. <laughs> The Cyclops winking or blinking all alone he feels bereft. And I saw him try to swat that fly It's clear he cannot perceive depth. So I stabbed him in the eye. Yes, I know you. Sometimes you gotta try when there's nothing else to do. Now I've got to ride out underneath this you. So this is obviously you know, Odysseus. he's traveling. he's on. Uh, He's on his way back to Penelope. He's, trying to, he's on that quest, right? And, he, and he's got his fellow travelers, and he looks around, and there are fewer and fewer fellow travelers, and he doesn't know where they are, and he come, he's hungry. He's tired, and he, oh, smells something cooking out of that cave. Something, is somebody's got a barbecue going on, and he goes into the cave, and he finds out that what's cooking are his fellow travelers. <laughs> I know, I know. And then uh, the Polyphemus, the uh, Cyclops, his name is Polyphemus, and I know this is a college, so I have to do educational stuff. That obviously means... Many Femuses, <laughs> one of y'all will correct me later, It's fe- it should be Femi, I, that would be the plural. And, uh, and Odysseus is uh, standing before Cyclops and Cyclops wants to eat Odysseus, but Polyphemus is concerned about his food sources. So he says, what is your name? And Odysseus becomes wise to him, he says, nobody. What is your name? Nobody. What is your name? And the whole time Odysseus pulls out his pocket knife and starts whittling whittling, 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 whittling. Nobody. And he stabs him in the eye with that stick. <laughs> nobody has stabbed me in the eye. Nobody has stabbed me in the eye. And the other, the other giants in the neighborhood go, nobody has stabbed Polyphemus in the eye. <laughs> nobody has stabbed Polyphemus in the eye. So I guess... Polyphemus ain't stabbed in the eye. (laughs) (laughs) And then he hides under a sheep. He gets under the sheep. And Polyphemus is so ignorant, he he ends his sentences with prepositions. So, where you at? Where you at? Where you at? And he's under a sheep. And that sheep happened to be a ewe. And a ewe is a sheep, a female sheep. He's no longer winking or blinking. Oh, he's no longer winking or blinking. Sam Payne. Thank you.
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Offit-Irwin. Thank you so much. <laughs> Andy, stick around. I know we've only got one microphone between us. Yes, but, we do. Uh, <laughs> We had a great conversation, again, before these microphones all went hot, about, about being on the road. It's, it's, it's been a minute. Yes, it has. And uh, tell us what you love about being on the road so much. Um, I, I love meeting new people, discovering people,
1: um, meeting a waitress or a waiter or a server and finding out their name, finding out what their life is, because, you know, these little vessels of humanity are just as vital as I am. So that's always part of it. And um, I can drive in the car and rehearse and talk to myself. And 20 years ago when I was talking to myself at an intersection, people stared at me. <laughs> but everybody does that now. So, <laughs> so uh, but it, no, it just, I just, I do love the road. I love uh, arriving. I love the journey. Uh, I love, um, I, I was telling Sam, I, I crossed the San Juan Mountains. I'd never been on the western slope of Colorado before. I'd been on the eastern. And it just an astoundingly beautiful road, and I, I stopped and savored the air and uh, savored the time, and, and uh, I get to do that. There's, there's a, there are those moments of solitude that I love, and then there are moments with people like Sam, my friend, and Suzanne's over yonder. She's going to judge my Shakespeare later. It's delicious. It, uh, it's the, uh, I think I'm about halfway through, a little better than halfway through this tour, and um, it's been, it's been a, a glorious time. Just... Uh, meeting folks. I'm in, the, I'm in the joy business, and this has been a great joy.
0: You are, uh, you're no newcomer to where you live. You're, your people have been there for a long time. Tell us a little bit about Covington. Um, well, if you've ever seen the Vampire Diaries or In the Heat
1: of the Night TV show, that's my town. In fact, the station house for In the Heat of the Night in the heat of the night oh, la, 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 Is the very spot where my mother was born But it is a, 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 it is the quintessential small town It's um, uh, a Georgia small town it's, uh, It is a friendly, friendly place I wouldn't stick around if it wasn't a, a wonderful place to live um, I live across the cemetery from downtown But no, I, I ride my bike um, to town to go to the bank I still like to go into the bank I, you can use your phone, but I like to meet people at the bank, and I know their names. <laughs> and um, it, um, it, it is, and I, I, I often say this, and people don't believe me, I think the, the northern half of Georgia may be the most racially tolerant place in the United States right now at this <laughs> moment, and that's interesting to me. It is a, a very, very sweet, sweet community, and I love going home there. I love being on the road. I love returning home and feeling the familiar. And yes, my accent does start switching back. And people who come to visit me in town, I'll go into the hardware store. There's a thing called sympathetic speech. Have you ever heard of this? Okay, all right, so you go in. Our, uh, my, my friend from Miami, whose parents were from New York, went with me to the hardware store and I was looking for some molly bowls. And I saw Mr. Jenkins. I said, Mr. Jenkins, I need some molly bowls. He said, well, they're over on the fasteners. Are over there. All right, thank you, man, how you doing? How's, how's Mrs. Jenkins? She's fine, it's good to see you. And when we got out, she said, why are you talking that way? And I wasn't aware of it at all. And I realized that that was just where I slipped in. So it's, it's very natural. Um, it's a good, good, good community. And I do love it very much. As, as we all love where we're from, if we love where we're from.
0: There is a lot more Andy Offutt-Irwin coming up in this special episode of The Appleseed. And of course, we're thankful to our terrific sound crew led by Dan Carlisle, back there. <laughs> <laughs> And also our wonderful camera crew. So much of what you're hearing recorded here you can find on video on the Appleseed Facebook page and in other places. We love to post some of these performances on social media and other places, and you can enjoy them by just looking for them. Type the Appleseed into your browser, and you'll find us. There's lots more coming up. I'm Sam Payne. See you in a minute. to a special episode of the Appleseed, usually an hour with us, contains all kinds of stuff. Original radio dramas, old-time radio classics, and more. But at the heart of the Appleseed, there have always been performances by terrific storytellers, often recorded right here in the Appleseed studio. And we thought today that instead of bringing you just one story from among those live taping sessions, we'd bring you the whole session. The teller is Andy Offit-Irwin, who a moment ago regaled us with a music comical romp through Odysseus's adventure with the Cyclops Polyphemus from Homer's Odyssey, the epic poem that's been with us since the 7th or 8th century BCE. Up next, you'll hear Andy tell one of his popular tales about his fictional Aunt Marguerite. Now, these are kind of the stories for which Andy is best known as a storyteller. And to hear Andy tell it, Aunt Marguerite went back to medical school in her 80s after her husband, Charles, passed away. And Andy's stories about her and about the people in her world are filled with humor and tenderness that will likely fill you with thoughts and memories of folks you know from among your own people. And in the story you'll hear next, Aunt Marguerite makes a long drive to visit Joy, a lifelong friend who may not have many visits left, And as she drives, Aunt Marguerite is filled with thoughts of family members, including her late husband Charles, who was a big fan of quoting Shakespeare. You'll hear him quoting from Macbeth and Hamlet in this story, but you'll also hear him recite that famous speech from As You Like It, the one that begins by saying, all the world's a stage and all the men and women merely players. It's a speech about how every person plays many roles during his or her lifetime. The role of the helpless child, the role of the hopeful young person, the fully grown grown grown-up, the old person. And it's fitting that in Andy's story about two old friends coming together for a tender visit, you'll get a memory of Uncle Charles quoting that speech from Shakespeare about the whole scope of a person's life. As you listen pay attention to the thoughts and feelings you have about your own loved ones. Save them up. Be ready to share them around the dinner table or the living room. That kind of storytelling can make for memories that last a lifetime. And at the Appleseed, we look on that family sharing as sacred work. For now, let's hear the story, shall we? Andy is waiting in the performance studio. Let's get back in there.
1: Thank you, thank you, thank you. Uh, My 85-year-old... Aunt Marguerite just recently graduated from medical school. We're all so very proud of her, yes. She's a dear one. She's, a, she's one of the uh, most, most important relatives in my life. And my son said, hey, um, you know, pop, the first weekend in June, let's go to the zoo. And he had talked to a couple of friends. They were going to go along. And I said, sure. And I had, this is in, this is in the before time when I was on the road (laughs) a lot, and we looked at our calendars together and he's been keeping a calendar, you know, he was a little kid at the time, but he's keeping a calendar and I called Marguerite and I said, "Um, hey, we're looking at going to the zoo cause he wanted Marguerite to go. He loves his great aunt Marguerite. And she said, let me look. And I heard her turn to the pages of her desk calendar. And I called her in April. This was gonna be in June. And she said, oh, that's a Saturday. I said, yes, ma'am. She said, I'll have a funeral. I said, what? She said, Andy, when you get to be my age, you book every Saturday for a funeral. (laughs) I said, well, we, we still want you to go. She said, well, I'll pencil you in. And it came to pass that week that we were to go to the zoo, Marguerite got a call from her goddaughter, Mary, down in Cordial, Georgia, in South Middle, Georgia. And Mary's mother is... Joy, and Joy is one of Marguerite's dearest, dearest friends. They don't remember not knowing each other. Joy and Mary Frances and Mar- Marguerite have been friends all their lives since they were diaper babies, as they say. They were actually in the nursery together at the First Methodist Church. And now Joy is in hospice at Mary's house. And Marguerite called me and I said, and she said, I, I have to go down to Cordille. Joy is in hospice at Mary's house. I said, well, okay, so do um, you want me to carry you down there? In the South, that means transport in a motor vehicle. <laughs> I wanna be clear, it was not, she ain't heavy, she's my that's none of that, okay. You want me to carry you down there? No, I'll, I'll drive. Now she has a 1968 Plymouth Fury II. It's the last car my uncle Charles gave her before he died because he hasn't given her any cars since. <laughs> And she puts, she always changed the oil. If she's gonna go more than 75 miles, she gets an oil change. This is the showpiece of our Chrysler place. They love this car. She loves this car. She um, got in her car and she started heading down. I told her to make sure she had her phone on, make sure she plugged it into the cigar lighter and, you know, let me know if there's a problem and check in when you get gas and stuff. I will. And she started making her way down I-75, but then she wanted to take the old road because she was feeling sentimental. So she got on Highway 41. So she gets on the road and she's, you know, when, you're, when you know you're heading towards grief, you start thinking about the people you love. And she started thinking about her daughter, her only, her only child, my cousin, Francine. Francine is a medical researcher in Cambridge, Massachusetts. Francine likes being from the South. <laughs> Francine has two PhDs. One's in chemical, um, uh, biological chemistry, bi- biology. What do you call that? Chemical biology. But it's one of them things. And I don't even know that, she's a medical researcher because you know she couldn't actually be a physician because she would have to deal with people. She, she suffers with HDD, humor deficit disorder. <laughs> when she was smaller, my Uncle Charles loved Shakespeare. He would quote Shakespeare out of context. And, and Francine was always embarrassed and never amused by Uncle Charles when he did Shakespeare. He had two dogs, one named Prince and one named Spot, right? Honorous, and I know. Spot was a Puli sheepdog, Dalmatian mix. All, I know. And always, the only time it would get on his chair is when it was coming out for the rain. He'd get up on his, his chair and goes, Out, out, damn Spot. <laughs> and Marguerite said, Do not cuss in front of our daughter and her friends. Honey, it's Shakespeare. It's classical. <laughs> and then Old Prince was his old lab, sweetest old dog ever. And, and then his hips gave out and this you know, control of his bladder gave out and we called old Dr. Exley. This is old Dr. Exley is one of the first vets ever. He um he didn't know the difference between a small and a large animal vet. He worked on horses, he worked on parakeets. And and when somebody he knew needed to put a dog down, he would come to us. And Uncle Charles and I both dug the grave and Francine was there. We were both in high school at the time, Francine and I. Dr. Exley came and he gave the dog a shot and there was no pain at all. And of course, Uncle Charles said, good night, sweet prince. And may a host of angels carry thee to thy rest. And even then, Francine winced at Uncle Charles doing Shakespeare. <sighs> Francine had a friend named, named Dan. And Dan and Francine were both in the flute section of the band. And she went to Dan's farm. He, his, his dad was a cattle farmer beef cattle. And she met one of the cows. They, they just walked up to the fence and Dan pulled up some weeds and the cow took it out of his hand. And Francine petted the cow on the nose and the cow went like that. And from that mo- moment on, Francine never ate meat, never used leather, stayed away from all animal products. In fact, her daughter, Drusilla, there are very few pictures of Drusilla that Francine took. The only pictures of Drusilla were taken by my Uncle Charles and Aunt Marguerite because back in the day, young people, that would require film. Film requires gelatin. Yeah, I know, in the before time. Yes. Film requires gelatin, and gelatin is an animal byproduct. So she was thinking about Francine. She has a, a, a tough relationship with her, and she drove, and she drove, and she finally began thinking of her husband, Charles. She's been a widow a long time. She misses Charles and she hears him from beyond sometimes. She remembers when he was in the hospital for his last days. And our town didn't have hospice back in those days. So she's hanging around the hospital. She's in the hallway. She's drinking coffee from a vending machine, which is nature's way of saying, go to bed. (laughs) And Francine came in from Boston and Gave her mama a hug. Outside the room, Marguerite was outside of the room because there was a, a doctor in there, a nurse in there, and, and somebody else putting in a, changing the needle on her central port. And when that, that technician put that needle in, Uncle Charles said, if you pierce us, do we not bleed? <laughs> and when the morphines went through his veins, he said, all's well that ends well. And Francine said, why does he have to do that? Why does he have to do that now? And Marguerite said, sugar, don't you know anything about your father? Don't you know this by now? Your dad is a show-off. Yeah. <laughs> Uncle Charles heard that, and he said, is that Francine? Francine, get in here. Francine walked in. He had lowered the bed. He had the remote control for the bed, <laughs> Patted the bed so she could sit on it. He raised it bzz, 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 bzz. <laughs> up and down, up and down. Francine said, Daddy, stop. He took her hand. He said, Darling, all the world's a stage. <laughs> and all the men and women merely players. They have their exits and entrances, and each one in his own time play many parts. His acts being seven ages. First, the infant mewling and puking in his nurse's arms. And then the whining schoolboy with his satchel and fresh morning face creeping like snail unwillingly to school. And then the lover sighing like Furnace with a woeful ballad to his mistress's eyebrow. (laughs) And then the soldier, full of strange oaths and bearded like the pard, jealous in honor, sudden and quick in quarrel, seeking the bubble reputation, even in the cannon's mouth. And then the justice with fire, fair round belly from good capon blind, eyes severe, beard of formal cut, full of wise saws and in modern instances. So he plays his part. The sixth age shifts to the lean and slippered pantaloon, spectacles on nose and pouch on side his youthful hose Well saved, a world too wide for his shrunk shank and this big manly voice turned to childish trebles, pipes and whistles and its sound. Last stage of all. Mere oblivion. Song's teeth, song's eyes, song's taste, song's everything. Francine was weeping. She kissed her father, and their tears mingled. Marguerite watched that, she was thinking of that as she came in to the town of Cordial, Georgia. Cordial, Georgia is the watermelon capital of the world. I have a sticker on my guitar case that says it, I believe it, that settles it. <laughs> she got behind a school bus truck. Now, a school bus truck is this. In the farms of South Georgia, especially the watermelon, cantaloupe, honeydew farms. What they do is they take a school bus, they take the seats out, they cut the top off, put up some railing, and you end up with a $1,500 truck And the tradition of my people. <laughs> and she got behind one of those and two watermelons fell off. They fill them all the way up. They're on their way to I-75 to distribute them throughout this great land of ours. And she saw two of those watermelons fall off, off, the, off the truck. And she, she was so excited, she pulled off into a parking place there's no I mean this has been going on all day. There were watermelons all over this intersection. She put I took out my my, my 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 phone. iphone I took out my iPhone. You know you can take a picture with, with did you know it has a camera? You didn't know that. It does, sugar. It does. and I, I was so excited. I took a picture of the watermelon in the intersection there. And you can send it on the email. You can show, you can. You probably text emails for old people. I know you. And I, I sent it to uh, the, to Francine. I said, Francine, you'll love Cordelia, Georgia. All the roadkill's vegetarian. <laughs> she stopped by the farmer's market. She bought a couple of watermelons to bring something. And then she arrived just behind the carport of Mary's house. I worked a gig with Kuniko Yamamoto. You might guess she's Japanese. She's from Osaka and we did a gig together in uh, Philadelphia and she said there's a word that Japanese people say when they enter a house if they don't live there but they're welcome guests and they don't have to knock and then Kuniko said there's no such word that I, that, that's the same as English and I said "Oh, au contraire where I'm from that word is woohoo And that's the sound Marguerite made as she entered Mary's house. And Mary said, we're in the den at Marguerite. Marguerite walked into the den and there, there was the, there was the recliner that that has the remote control that, that Joy had been using for a while. But then there was a hospital bed right next to it. Obviously a hospital bed set up by a Southern woman because it had a dust ruffle. (laughs) And And, uh, it had a little white Christmas tree lights going up and down the IV pole. <laughs> and they were watching the baseball game, the Braves versus the Rockies. Watching the game and Marguerite went to the bathroom, came back and sat in the recliner and reclined it, played with it a little bit and held hands with her old, old, old dear friend, Joy. And they watched the game together and baseball is a good game for conviviality. You can talk or you can not You can talk about the game or not. And these two women did not need to chat. They knew each other so very well. And they watched the game. And late in the game, they were discussing how happy they were that Chipper Jones had had retired outright and did not become a designated hitter for the American League, which is an abomination. (laughs) And late in the game, Joy said, Dolly. It's the eighth inning, and we're down by seven runs. Marguerite said, I see that. And Joyce said, I'm running out of outs. (laughs) Marguerite is honest with her friend. I know. I love you. I love you too. When the game was over, Marguerite became aware that Mary was rubbing her shoulders Marguerite picked up the remote control and said, Mary, catch me, until she was standing up, but she didn't have her sea legs yet, and Mary held on to her, and Marguerite said, Mary, do me a favor. I know you have one of those curies. Would you make me some coffee while I go to the bathroom? And Mary said, What? It's bedtime. It's 10.30 at night. Well, no, I'm going to go home, and would you make me some coffee, please? I have a long drive. You're not going home tonight. There's a bedroom here. You know you're welcome. I know I'm welcome. I know who my people are, but you need the room. I have been here. Please. And Mary did, and Marguerite came out of the bathroom, and there it was, and she got in her 1968 Plymouth Fury. She stayed on I-75 this time. It's easier to find a restroom. She fell into bed when she got home, and at 8.15 in the morning, her phone went off, and it was Mary, and Joy had died in the night. So, she decided she needed to do something ordinary. She went to the sink, and she was embarrassed to see that there were dirty dishes in the sink, and she has a dishwasher, but she wanted to do them by hand. Of course, there was nobody there to be embarrassed in front of, but still, I felt ashamed. So it was a double sink. She filled up the sink with hot water. When the water was hot, she put on her Playtex living gloves, which come to life at night. (laughs) She stopped up the sink. She pulled out the dishwashing liquid. She put a little in the dishwashing liquid and she plopped the bottle on the counter and (laughs) one bubble came out of the bottle, teeny little thing. She watched it without language. It rose, and then it came and touched her on the ear, and she could feel it. How could she feel something so small? One little bubble of joy. It caught the thermal of the hot water in the sink, and it rose again, and it went behind her to the schoolhouse globe that illuminated the kitchen. She lost it in the light, and she said, Bye, Joy because she is a scientist she took the bottle made the exact same motion squirted some in plopped it on the counter no just a little bit of liquid on the plunger cap there so she took off her gloves she turned off the water she went and got her phone and she called me and she said i'm going with y'all to the zoo on saturday
0: Ladies and gentlemen, Andy Offit-Irwin. I'll tell you, every time I'm in an audience of Andy's at a storytelling festival or anywhere else, I always hope he'll tell that story. It's a very, very favorite, partly because it's the very first story I ever heard Andy tell years and years and years ago. at the Timpanogos Storytelling Festival, largest storytelling festival in the West, been bringing great storytelling to concert halls and stages and under the big tents of the festival for more than 30 years now. I had not been to the festival before, walked into the festival, sat down, and there was Andy Offutt, Irwin, telling that story, and I felt suddenly like storytelling was a little more than perhaps I thought it was. <laughs> <laughs> There's a lot more coming up on the Appleseed. We'll be right back. I'm Sam Baineyer. For joining us for a special episode of The Appleseed. Today, we thought we'd invite you into an entire hour with a single storyteller, longtime friend of the show, Andy Offutt Irwin, who visited the Appleseed studio as part of a Western States storytelling tour. And there's more from Andy coming up. You'll hear a story that will bring on Cub Scout memories if you've got them. But first, I'll get in on the act myself. Let's head back to the performance studio. We've been joined here today by Andy Offutt-Irwin. You've heard him and heard him and heard him on the show. We play his work often, and uh, it's great to have him live in the studio with us. You know, when we uh, talk to storytellers, one of the questions that we like to ask of them is, how do you know that a storytelling performance has gone well? (laughs) And there's an answer that just about all of them give, They say when we give a performance and we know it's gone well, if the people leave the performance turned toward one another, telling stories to each other of the things in their lives and the things in their families that have occurred to them as we've been telling stories on stage. Well, you never know what's going to spark a memory, and you never know what memory it's going to spark. And As we've listened to Andy offutt Irwin tell stories of Aunt Marguerite and her pals, her family and friends, I have been thinking about some of the dear people in my life. I've been spending a lot of time lately with uh, my mother and stepdad. My mother's getting on and is going away from us in a lot of ways. They've been together for 23 years and uh, I watch the tenderness between them. As my mother goes further and further away, that tenderness seems to grow and not to wane. My mom is almost completely blind and every morning my stepdad sits down with her to put in her contact lens the one contact lens in the one eye through which she can see anything (laughs) at all. And that is an act, a daily act of such tenderness and such love. Again, as I hear Andy talking about being on the road and about how uh, long it's been since he's been on the road, how long we have been kept from the people that we love, from the company of the people that we love, It's got me thinking about all of the ways in which we find ourselves distant from each other and how much we love each other anyway. So I thought I'd do a little tune here. This is a song really more than anything about being far from the people that you love. I could ride the wide range Darling, I could, darling, I could Safe on a horse that loves me Under the desert stars I could ride the wide range Darling, I could, darling, I could Campfire glowing, no one around As I open my mouth strum my guitar you may be so far from me but if you feel a slight shift in the air it's true that's just me on the range filling the sky up with songs about you I could sail the wide sea Darling, I could, darling, I could Rocking among the breakers Under Atlantic stars I could sail the wide sea Darling, I could, darling, I could Fishes dancing, no one around As I open my mouth Strum my guitar And you may be so far From me But put your ear to a shell Like you sometimes do That's just me on the sea Filling the sky up With songs about you I could fly to the moon Darling, I could, darling, I could Floating beside the lander Silent among the stars I could fly to the moon Darling, I could, darling, I could Earth a marble, no one around As I open my mouth And strum my guitar You may be so far from me But if the radio flickers That's just a clue That it's me on the moon Filling the sky up with songs About you With songs about you Ladies and gentlemen, how about we bring him back for another story? We bring to the microphone Andy Offutt Irwin. Thank you. Thank you so much.
1: It's so beautiful. So beautiful singing. Uh, there are two kinds of grown-ups, and the shallowest of people divide people into two groups, and I'm just that kind of man. You know, like they're, um, this is how you can tell a shallow man. A shallow man says, look what you did. A really shallow man says, look what you made me do. (laughs) But that's not what I came here to tell you. Um, No, there are two kinds of grown-ups. There are wise grown-ups and unwise grown-ups. Unwise grown-ups don't remember childhood. I'm convinced of that. Wise grown-ups do. Now, that's according to the sociologist, Andy Irwin. Like I, I, remember, I remember being a kid and um, the county fair was coming and they used to put these hatch prints all over town of the county fair coming. And if you know what that is, then you know what old jazz and soul music is. They, they would put these prints all over and I said, oh man. And I remember seeing um, Sally Lynette, who is uh, an acquaintance of my Aunt Marguerite. I said, I can't wait for the fair. I can't wait to get for the fair to come. And she said, it'll be here before you know it. <laughs> that's ridiculous. <laughs> when you're a kid, that's ridiculous. It's not gonna be here before I know it. I'll know the second the trucks come in. That's when I'll know the fair is here. But wise grown ups are a different kind of thing. Like, wise grown ups understand that things we anticipate when we're children take a long time. My mama used to say to me when she wanted me to hurry up, to go somewhere, she goes, You are slow as Christmas. Yeah. That's a wise grown up <laughs> right there, right? Yeah. That's a wiser. You know, I would go, all right, mama, I'm coming. And that's the way that works. I couldn't wait to become a Cub Scout when I was seven years old. I wanted, all I wanted really was the uniform. I thought it was beautiful. To, to, to wear medals and badges and have those little arrowheads. That's what we had back in those days. And I couldn't wait to, to become a, a Cub Scout. I wanted to look more manly in that uniform. And I remember Marguerite, my Aunt Marguerite, seeing me in that uniform. There's that, 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 that gold piping on the blue uniform, and I felt so... And then there's that little beanie kind of freshman hat. She goes, that hat is so cute. I didn't want to look cute, and I couldn't wait. Then I couldn't wait to become a Boy Scout. But I remember being a, a Cub Scout, getting a lot of arrowheads, and I went from wolf to bear. And my mama was so proud of me, we went to White's Department Store, which sold the official Boy Scout gear. If it's official, it's tops. You remember that? That's what Pee Wee Harris told us in Boys Life Magazine. And we would go and, do, it was a little clothing store, department store, a little you know storefront in our town. And I would always go and peruse the, the Boy Scout equipment and my mama would go and get a scarf. But when I became a bear, she was so excited, she bought me a Cub Scout pocket knife. Ooh. Young people, they used to give eight-year-olds pocket knives. <laughs> right? Yeah, absolutely, yes. And we would carry them to school. <laughs> No kidding. Um, And people who have grownups my age will say stuff like, you know, and we were fine. No, there were a lot of stabbings. (laughs) So when I finally became a boy scout, I wanted to look just like the Boy Scouts on the commercial, there was a PSA, a public service announcement, and it was sung by Frankie Lane, and there was all these Boy Scouts camping, and he would sing, follow the rugged road, follow the rugged road, the Scouts are coming, they are coming down, leaving in the money, follow the rugged road. <laughs> we didn't laugh at that commercial. Oh, it was beautiful. And their scouts were there. They were, they were building fires, and they had their hatchets, and they were hacking things, and they were whittling things, and they were burning things, and that's what I wanted to be and couldn't wait. Now, back to wise and not wise grownups. Christmas takes forever when you're a kid, doesn't it? Part of that is the marketing. Part of it is August when the catalog started arriving. <laughs> And you're a kid and you look at it, August, September, October, November, that's four months, man, that's a third of the year. And you're like, oh, I can't wait for Christmas, I can't wait for Christmas, I can't wait for Christmas. And then, and then if you're a kid and you're in a choir or you're in a, a band or something like that, they pass out the music in October. So it takes a long time. And I consider the holiday season beginning when we get the sheet music. So That means there are seasons within the season. All right? If you follow baseball, there's pre, you know, uh, 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 all-star game and post all-star game, then the playoffs, and it's it's a bunch of little seasons. Christmas works the same way. And I remember, you know, uh, getting the music and singing, and then there's that other season right before school stops when everybody does Secret Santa in their various organizations. And Boy Scout Secret Santa was super fun. We had a three dollar spending limit limit. This was, that was pretty good money. And I remember going with my mama. She gave me $3. It was part of my allowance. All right, you've got to use your allowance to buy your secret Santa something. And she was perusing scarves again because she was always giving thank you gifts as scarves because they fit everybody. (laughs) And I found it, man. I found that official Boy Scout piece of equipment that said that I had the maturity and and the skill to do life-saving surgery. The official Boy Scout snake bite kit. <laughs> Do you remember that? I'm not making that up, am I? No, I'm not. It's, a, it's, it's, it's about half the length of a hot dog. It looks like half a hot dog weenie. And it's embossed. The official Boy Scout logo was embossed on the side. You unscrew it. Inside is a scalpel. A little exacto knife is what that was. A, a little alcohol swab. And scouts honor, this is real. Uh, and a little tourniquet string. And I ran to my mama and it was it a was buck 75. I'm gonna make a little profit. <laughs> I said, mama, 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 I wanna get my secret Santa this. And she took it, she unscrewed it, she saw the scalpel. She said, what the cuss? <laughs> And she walked out of the store w- without, without paying for it, without anything. And there was no <laughs> on the door or anything. <laughs> Sorry, Dan. <laughs> and she walked out of the store and, and, and one of the ladies goes, Miss Tootsie, that was my mama's name. Don't laugh at my mama's name. <laughs> and she marched, remember marched? She marched to the bank of Covington building, which was this Romanesque big building. Upstairs was a lawyer and one of the very first physicians in history. Roscoe Sams. He was an old, old doctor. He still used glass syringes. Okay, that's not funny. He had a jar of leeches. And she walked past the nurse who was the same lady as the receptionist, as the same lady as everything else. She got the little cap on, that little nursey cap, and then she walked in to Dr. Sams' office, and he had his feet up on his desk. He was reading the Covington News newspaper. There used to be a thing called newspapers. They were made of paper, and they would arrive. <laughs> in the morning, and your dog would go and fetch it for you if your dog was free range. We'll talk about that later. <laughs> and, and she said, Dr. Roscoe. Now, he was a generation ahead of her, so she had to address him like that. Roscoe was his first name. Dr. Roscoe, look what they're selling boys at White's Department Store. Hi, say how are you? Now, Dr. is one of those guys that didn't need to clean the inside of his glasses because his eyebrows did it for him. <laughs> what do you have there, honey? And she, he looked at it. And he looked at me and he looked at my mom and said, White's department store. He opened it up by selling this to boys. And he reached down at the phone. Well, he was in the Kiwanis club with E.G. Lassiter, the guy who ran White's and he knew the number. (laughs) This was in the before time. (laughs) I mean, he'd been renting this phone since 1932, (laughs) y'all. It was a metal dial, and all the you know it was all shiny around where the holes are. You stick your finger in. (laughs)
0: Doctor
1: Roscoe looked at me, and they're slow as Christmas. White's department store. <laughs> Get me A. G. Lassiter. A. G. Lassiter. A. G. Roscoe. Y'all are selling these little hot dog looking, snake bite looking things at the store. Discontinue these right now. This is these things are stupid and dangerous. <laughs> Bye. <laughs> there used to be a thing called doctor's orders. <laughs> so what White's did, they didn't stopped selling them, but they discontinued them and they put them all on sale. They sold them for 40 cents a piece. (laughs) Therefore, when Secret Santa time came, everybody in my troop, everybody in my troop got a snake bite kit, except for Pat Wiggins. He got the little cutlery kit you could put on your belt because I was his Secret Santa.
0: Thanks for joining us for a special episode of The Appleseed, in which we've done something a little different from what we usually do. We brought you an entire hour today with a single storyteller, Covington George's Andy Offit-Irwin, who joined us live in The Appleseed studio as part of a Western States tour. And, of course, it was fun for me to get in on the act, too. We'll hope you'll take with you memories of Andy's zany fun, his quick wit, and what critics call his silly putty voice. But we hope you'll take with you even more sweet observations about lifetime relationships between generations that will have you thinking about some of the people who are important to you. As those thoughts come, mark them. Make a point of sharing them. We feel like that kind of sharing can make for memories that last a lifetime. It's kind of sacred work. Andy's story about Aunt Marguerite and her old friend, Joy, a story called Book Every Saturday for a Funeral, might bring up thoughts about family members who are tricky to get along with or about long drives to visit people who are special to you. And, of course, it may bring up sweet memories of people you may have lost or who are far from you. And the story you just heard about the snake bite kit might bring up Cub Scout memories of yours or secret Santa memories. And of course, if Andy's rollicking opening number about the Cyclops makes you wonder if you should pull your dusty copy of Homer's Odyssey off the shelf for another look, well, we wouldn't mind that at all. And of course, you can share your story with us at theappleseed at byu.edu. That's our email address, theappleseed at byu.edu. We love to hear from you. It's been a pleasure for me to be part of this hour with you on The Appleseed, where great stories can change your family's world. Join us again, won't you? You can find us at byuradio.org Appleseed by Googling The Appleseed Podcast or by downloading the BYU Radio app for ways to listen to all the great shows produced by BYU Radio. The Appleseed is pleased and proud to be part of that family of programs. And if you found us on the podcast, leave us a review and rate us. It helps people find the show. I'm Sam Payne, and I can't wait to be with you again on The Apple Seed.